0: Great usually means that it is something uh, that it exceeds. It's very large. It's way above average. It's it's huge. Something of monumental uh, importance. And so we we hear that word used with uh, the Great War, for example, which was the war that encapsulated all of all of the world, and it was great. We hear uh, Alexander the Great. He was a military general who was never. Uh, defeated. We hear um, Muhammad Ali called himself the greatest because he was the champion uh, of boxing. Uh, There's uh, the great Gabsby, and I don't really know why he's great, but I think because he uh, ironically was a a big loser is why I think they called him great. Uh, Again, another uh, extent. I never made it through that movie. I've fallen asleep and I've never read the book, but great Gabsby came to mind. We use that word for uh, thinking of something that is important, and this morning we have focused our attention on what is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission, which tells us something. It tells us that it's important. It tells us we ought to pay attention to it, that of all the things in Scripture, maybe this is something I ought to put on my radar. It's the Great Commission. Why is it great? Because it was given by Jesus, and it was given by His authority. And so that's the reason that we need to pay attention. Why is it great? Because it is given to uh, all of us as God's people, encompassing all of us to make sure that we are engaged in this commission. And I also think it's great because of the the, uh, extent of the ministry that it's supposed to go out into all the world. And so Jesus comes and he gives his disciples in Matthew 28 the great commission. And I just wanna look at that a minute for those who may be unfamiliar with it. At the very end of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus comes. They're on a mountain and Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because I'm giving, I have authority, I'm telling you my church what to do. Therefore, go and do what? What's the word? Go and make disciples, make disciples. yes. Go and make disciples of who? All nations go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you that's the Great Commission and I got to believe that there had to be some dread that uh, overtook the disciples when Jesus said that right I mean just imagine these 11 fishermen who grew up mainly around the Sea of Galilee who spent their time in Israel and now Jesus says to the 11 of them, I'm going, I know you've been leaning into me, but I'm going, and now this is what I want you to do. Go into all the world. I can imagine them, how that gripped them. Like, oh my goodness. That's what we're, uh, uh, how do we even do that? How can we even do that? I'm just a fisherman. I, Peter, what do you think? How are we supposed to do this? James? What's going on here? Well, he just told us to go into all the world. What should we do? And then they remember what Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, just before the reading that we heard. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to them in Acts 1, verse, uh, let's see, verse 4, he says, do not leave Jerusalem. Oh, good. We, don't, we didn't have to go. But wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. Wait for my gift, and you, in a few days, you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the whole world, isn't it? Go into the whole world. So that mission that Jesus gave them said to go into all the world, He's telling them, You will be able to go into all the world, but I want you to wait because what you need in order to go into all the world is the Holy Spirit to fill you. Then you will be able to be my witnesses. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so the disciples are waiting. They know their mission. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting in Jerusalem, and we read in Acts chapter two these words. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So they were waiting, and now on this day of Pentecost, which, we, uh, which is celebrated 50 days uh, after Easter, uh, in the Jewish tradition, it's called the Feast of Shavuot. It is comes After they, uh, it's for the barley harvest, and they bring their first fruits of the barley harvest to God. Uh, Forty-nine days ago, we brought the first fruits of the barley harvest in in, uh, Passach to God. We brought them there. Now we're bringing in this festival. We come and we bring them our first fruits here. This was one of the three festivals that all Jews had to go to the temple, because that's where you go, right, to bring your feast and bring your grain and bring your offerings to God. You come to the temple. And so they're gathered here on this day of Pentecost and they were all together in one place. And so I would ask myself, what is that place? And of course I just said it. Cuz if you're going to bring your grain offering and you're going to bring your barley and show God that he is first, where do you have to bring it? To you got a temple. Because that's where the presence of God is. That's where God dwells, and so you're going to bring it there. So if we ask, where were the disciples? They were in the one place, which would have been the temple. And it tells us that they, that then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. What I want to suggest to you is that word house is the temple. They were in the temple, right? This makes sense. They had to bring their feast to the temple, and what is the temple called by the Jews? God's house, it's the house of God. Beit Elohim, Beit the house, Elohim of God. It's the house of God, this is where God dwells and where God lives with us. Remember uh, David, uh, he wanted, he said, I want to build a house for God to live and dwell, and God said, no, you can't build my house because you're a man of war. So that'll go to Solomon. And David was able to declare when he was going to the presence of God, he said, oh, I just love it in Psalm 122. How I delight that I get to go to the house of the Lord. And Jesus, when he was, um, uh, remember when he was 12 and his parents couldn't find him? And they came rushing back and they were all ticked off because he's there in the temple. And he says, what what are you so mad about? Did you know that I would be in my father's house? And so I want to suggest to you that this is the house of God, that there's that the temple where the disciples were at because it was the festival time, and that's where everybody went during the time of the festival. And the disciples are there, and it says that they are sitting, they were sitting uh, at the house. I want to suggest to you that they were sitting here on the southern steps of the house. The southern steps of the temple are where, uh, is the main entry, You know, if you're going to Van Andel Arena, you all know you don't go around the backside. You come in the main entry. This is the main entry into the temple. This is where everybody would be coming. So it's festival time. So all the pilgrims from all over the world who are Jews are coming to the temple, they would come up these southern steps to go into the temple. This is often where Jesus taught on the southern steps. They would sit and listen to rabbis teach on the southern steps. These steps are still visible today. When you go to Israel, you can still see the steps that were there in Jesus' day. It's not very often that you can go to a spot in Israel and go, this, I can guarantee you, Jesus was here. This is a place that we could guarantee that Jesus was. And when we were on our trip in Israel, this was a place where we were able to sit, and we were able to teach, and we were able to talk about these stories when we were in Israel. Uh, We were able to be there, and I just want to uh, encourage you that if you want to come with us, you can see on this picture here, we had a good time sitting on the stairs. A good time just from the standpoint of that we're able to remember what happened there. Remember what happened. And so I just want to encourage you, in 2021, we're going to go back to Israel. and It would be beautiful if you could come and we could do some teaching from the steps. And so the disciples, I want to suggest, much like we were able to do, were sitting on these steps. They were learning, they were teaching in God's word. And it tells us then that at that moment, while they were sitting there, suddenly they heard, well, it was a sound like the blowing of wind. All right, it wasn't really wind, it was a sound like the blowing. I mean, how do you describe this? It's God, How how do you describe it? It was a sound like the blowing of wind. Uh, and God's presence was always known with wind, right? When creation came, his, the wind hovered over the earth. The, the breath of God brought life. And so there's this sound, it's like wind blowing. And, and then we they not only heard something, but they they saw something. This was very tactile. They heard something, and they saw something which, which well, it, I don't know, it just seemed to be like uh, tongues of fire coming down on top of the disciples. It wasn't tongues of fire, but it just... It seemed like that. I mean, they're trying to describe. How do you describe when the presence of God comes down to earth? God, could you imagine? You get tongue-tied, I I can't describe it. But here's here's God coming down to earth, and and it's like fire because, well, the burning bush, God showed himself in fire in Mount Carmel. When God came down, it was poosh, it was fire. And, and fire is refining, and, and it was like God coming down, and tongues of fire were there, and, and it rested on the, the disciples. And on this day, when they're sitting on the steps of, of uh, uh, Pentecost here, the, the, the Spirit comes down, and, and then suddenly they're able to speak. What does it say there in verse 4? They're able to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. How awesome is that! Because who was gathered there? The disciples. But everyone, the disciples. Everyone is gathered there. Did you hear that? There's a litany there. If you look at verse uh, nine, they are Parth, uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judah, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phry- Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs. That's a massive list because this is where all the people who are coming to the Jewish festival from all over the world, they come to these southern steps because that's the entryway into see God. They're here, and all of a sudden, the Spirit comes down, the 11 disciples get up on the steps, and what do all these people from all over the world begin to hear? Different tongues. Different tongues, their language. I want to suggest to you this wasn't, it wasn't just uh, gibberish. But it was understandable because each of them says, as we see in verse 7, 2 verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? They're not the brightest bulbs anyways. <laughs> then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? They, uh, they heard them declaring God, as we see in verse 11, the wonders of God in our own tongues. So when you use that word tongues, let's take the mystery out of it, because tongues someday gets, gets uh, thought to be just this, this language that's ununderstandable. but I believe in this passage here, it is a specific language that people understood. That's what the text tells us. And so all these people from all over the world were able to hear the glory of God in their own language because the Spirit of God came and rested upon them. And Peter tells us that on that day, Three thousand were added to the faith. Three thousand people. They heard the gospel in their own language because of the of the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Like that, they believed in Jesus Christ. And one of the sweet things is, is they're all around the temple you will find what they called mikvahs, which are ritual baths that normally you have to bathe in to purify yourself to come into the temple. And so there's, there's all these, these baths out there, which you can still find today. So where could they, where could they baptize 3,000 people? Right there in the mikvahs, right at the moment. Come on down, the 11 disciples. I was thinking about that. What would that be, like, like 300 baptisms each? How long were they there? Just Oh, my bicep is getting, you know, it's getting sore, you know, one after another. But what a glorious day. And then to think about all these people from all over, all over the world, hearing the gospel in that day, went back to their hometowns, and they shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And look at that map. Where did the message go? Where did the gospel go? All over. All nations. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes, and the whole world will know. And the whole world heard that day when the Holy Spirit came and worked its power, and the disciples gave witness to Jesus Christ. Hold on to that story. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. The book of Ezekiel is a prophet, Ezekiel is one of the major prophets. In Ezekiel, uh, in prophecy, he not only was speaking into the life of God's people who were in exile and and, and trying to uh, encourage them for their future, but this also speaks into the future of when Jesus Christ comes again and what the world's going to be like when Jesus comes again. And so here's the vision of, of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel says, Then the man brought me back to the entrance to the... Temple. Okay, we were just sitting there, right? We were just there, the temple. We're sitting there at the temple. That's God's house. He takes me to God's house, and then I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east, and the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Where's that water coming from? The south side. The southern steps. Where were we just sitting? On the southern steps. The very place where the Holy Spirit was unleashed on that day. I, I so so. What do I see there? It, it's water. Why is water significant in Israel? Because it for baptism, and also because it means life. Life. It means life. Because you don't have life without water in Israel. Nothing grows without water. Water means life. And so what we're seeing here is that life is coming from where? The house of God. Life is coming from the very house of God. Coming out of the temple. And then he brought me down through the north gate. He led me around the outside. We see uh, that it's facing east. And the water was trickling. Are there other versions that have other words there? Mine says, Mine says trickling. Trickling is not a lot of water, is it? A trickle is, a, I mean, just a, just a really small amount of water, kind of like when you maybe leave the, accidentally leave part of the hose on and you don't, you don't tighten it up all the way, just a little trickle uh, coming out. That's not a lot of life, is it? But there's a trickle of life coming, coming out. It's coming out of the south side. And then as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he's measuring, he measured off a 1,000 cubits, about 500 yards, five football fields, and he led me through water that was ankle-deep. So what just happened to the trickle? It got deeper, didn't it? The trickle got deeper. Well, then he measured off another 1,000 cubits and led me through water that this time was knee-deep and he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that this time was up to my waist. This is, this is amazing. The water, the trickle that's coming out from the temple, as you go, 500 yards gets deeper, 500 yards it gets deeper, and in my knowledge, the way that rivers work is you need tributaries to come in to feed them in order for them to get deeper. If you're the Mississippi River, it starts in the north, and then you have all these watersheds that are feeding into it to cause it to get deeper. But there's none of that here. It starts as a trickle. And the only place that's feeding this trickle is the house of God, being fed by the house of God. It's a trickle. And I don't know about you, but if I'm at home and I'm washing my my car and I leave the hose on and it's running down my driveway and then it turns into the road and starts running down the road past my neighbor's, It doesn't get very far, does it? Pretty soon that water just eventually stops and it evaporates. Do you get in your mind what's going on here? There's a trickle of water coming out of the temple and it's getting bigger and deeper as it goes along. He measured off another thousand in verse five and now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross that's a pretty good-sized river. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Do you see it? Hold on to that vision. Do you see it? This river, this life that comes out of the temple from the very presence of God, and rather than just, just a little trickle that all of a sudden gets smaller, and it, it turns into a gigantic river. Son of man, do you see it? Do you see it? Then he led me back to the, to the bank of the river. And this is interesting. Because notice what he says. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. and goes down to the Arabah, where it enters into the Dead Sea. And you can see that in that picture there. There is, there is uh, Israel, at the, t- the temple at the top. And it goes now down through the Arabah, which means the Jordan Valley. Uh, and then it moves through the Jordan Valley. Uh, judean wilderness and then it moves through the hills towards uh the dead sea and what do we know about the dead sea it's Dead. dead so see this is the path of the water trickling through barrenness through wasteland through a place where there's absolutely no life a place where it is dry son of man do you see it do you see the miracle that's happening here that it's a trickle that starts and by the time you get 21 miles to the end to the Dead Sea, it's a full-blown river that nobody can cross. And not only that, where there's wilderness, where there's barrenness, where there's death, what do we say water represents? Life. life. Now, this river is bringing to all that wasteland, it's bringing life. He says, do you see? I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And then he says, when it empties, uh, in verse 8, when it empties into the sea, uh, it, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. Is there death there anymore? No, it's life. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En Aglaim. from the north to the south, along the whole stretch of that sea. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Rabbi Google tells me that there are 240 fish in the Mediterranean Sea. But, that's, but the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. But fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither. Never. Nor will their fruit fail ever. Every month they will bear fruit. Why? Why will there be so much life? Why will there be so much goodness? Because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. The very life from the presence of God flows to them, and God brings life. And their fruit will serve for food, feeding them, and their leaves for healing them. That's what God does. That's who God is. That God brings that kind of life. Son of man, do you see it? And here's the good news, I think, in all of this, is that the world is, does not have to wait until Jesus comes again to see this river flow. The world does not have to wait to experience life. The world does not have to wait until Jesus comes again to uh, experience trees that will feed them, to experience healing in their life. The world does not have to wait. Why? Because what happened on those same steps at Pentecost? The Spirit of God descended and filled his people. The presence of God filled his people. And Jesus said to us in the Scriptures, he said, just as the Scripture said, everyone who believes in me, out of them will come rivers of life. Rivers of life. Rivers of life. If you are a believer in in Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God, he says, do you not know that your body is now a temple of God? You're a temple of God. And what lives in the temple of God? His spirit. This is where God dwells. Now God dwells among his people. That was what changed on that Pentecost day. And now the way that God moves and works is he sends his people out into the world Go and make disciples of all nations. And as we go with the Spirit of God, what do we bring? Life. We bring life to the world. How incredible is that? Are you excited to do that? I mean, this should just just, just get a hold of you, that that's who you are. That's the, the great commission that's been given to you. Jesus never said, go into all my world and get as nice and comfortable a house as you could get. He said, never get for yourself a beautiful job where you, just, where you can excel and work your way up the corporate ladder. Jesus never said, engage in all your lusts, and just eat, drink, and be merry and have it. He never said any of that. None of those were said to us. But the great commission was, go into all the world and be my witnesses. Because we have the very power and presence of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God living in us, which brings life to this world. Oh my goodness, we forget that, church. We forget that. And the world makes us hang our heads in shame. I don't dare speak, I don't dare talk, I don't dare tell people about Jesus, because I might offend. I might not be politically correct. I might not be in the stream of the world and the world tells us not to say that, but friends, we don't have bad news, we have good news. We have good news, we have life, and we have life to bring to this world, into the chaos of this world. We have life to bring to students who are confused about their gender right now and living in chaos. We have life to bring to them. We have life to bring to marriages that are, that are struggling and broken and we have life to bring to them. We have life to bring to people in India who are saying they're living in, in this area of, of like hell and we have life to bring to them. We have life to bring to people who have no hope. We have life to bring to everybody in this world and Jesus tells us to go and bring it. Then why do we sit And why do we not bring it? Why do we not do it? Why are we disobedient? Because this was the Great Commission. And every one of us should be out there living with the Spirit of God in us. Jesus says, you will go and you will be my witness. And I celebrate the many ways that Orchard Hill is going into the world. And we are bringing life. I celebrate that, I do. I love it. But in my mind... I think it's a trickle. I think it's a trickle going out of this place, running down the hill, into our community. I don't think God's satisfied with a trickle. I don't think his spirit was meant to be a trickle. His spirit was meant to be a river. And how does that river flow? When each and every one of us here gets up and out of our pew and we live into the Great Commission and we go into all the world bringing the presence the Spirit of God and we move from bringing a trickle out of this church to bringing a river that floods this community with the power and presence of God. I believe that's who we're called to be. I believe that's who we should be and I believe that was on Jesus' mind when he stood on that hill and he said to his disciples, go into all the world. And those those 11 men took, the call of Jesus and the Great Commission seriously, and we are here today because they took it seriously. They turned the world upside down, those 11 men, because they had the power and presence of Jesus Christ in them to go into the world with boldness and confidence, and they were sold out to that mission and that mission alone. Can you begin to imagine what would happen if this church, the 400 people sitting here today, sold out to the Great Commission and Began to let the Spirit of God dwell in and through them out into the world bringing life into into your Household into your neighborhood into your workplace. Can you begin to imagine? What this community would look like? How full of life it would be and that is my my dream for Orchard Hill that a river of life would continue to flow from this church As we follow in obedience Jesus Christ, who told us to go into all the world, will you do it? Will you follow him? Do you hear his commission? Will you be obedient?